Welcome to A Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian Van Vactor, and I'm co-hosting today in studio with Pastor Bo Olette. Hey, what's happening, buddy? Pretty good, brother. How it, are you? It's good. It's awesome. It's just me and you. And it's raining. And it's pouring. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's the first one. It's the first one. Yeah, at least. First monsoon. The first uh, big one. I mean, we had a maybe a, a, a tease oh, of a sprinkle yeah. a week or so ago. It was like... Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, this one's this one's coming down. Mm. Hence, I'm trying to clean my glasses. Oh, that's, <laughs> yeah, I saw that when you walked in the studio. Yeah. Well, we're so glad to be here. Happy Monday. We're having vacation Bible school this week, so mm -hmm. my son Cal was uh, having fun causing all kinds of chaos there, and uh, we had a great time. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> we're happy that you've joined us if you're listening in live. This is a daily weekday Bible answer program where people join us online and uh, pose their questions about the Christian worldview, uh, per perhaps a question about a particular passage in Scripture that they want clarity or a deeper understanding of, uh, questions about God's existence or whether we can trust the reliability of the Bible, whether it's preserved throughout time or actually is historically accurate, things like that, and so much more. So we would encourage you to join us. If you are a first time in coming across one of these videos and it's not live, there are multiple ways that you can join us <clears throat> and pose your question. If you're a skeptic or someone who is sort of maybe raised in the church and and uh, have wandered away and you're thinking, yeah, why don't I believe that stuff anymore? Or whatever it may be, whatever background you're coming from, uh, we would really encourage you to come and engage with us because uh, we really try to study to show ourselves approved and to understand why we believe what we believe. We are not uh, believers in the Christian faith and followers of Jesus because it makes us feel better, because we need a mental crutch. It's because we believe it's true. We are bound to the truth. Uh, regardless of what we might think about it, how we might feel about it, it's true. And so therefore we have to align our lives either immediately or over time uh, to align with that truth. So I would encourage you to join us. And there are multiple ways for you to do that. You can join us on Facebook and just go to facebook.com forward slash at CCF Tucson and simply join the live stream and use the comment box and you can leave your question there. Again, any question uh, really is uh, <clears throat> no questions out of bounds as long as it's sincere and generally speaking about the Christian worldview or world religions or the Bible, It'd be great. We also live stream simultaneously to YouTube. And if you happen to catch us on some of these social media platforms, we'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe and hit that notification bell. We not only live stream A Reason for Hope, this program, but we also live stream all of our services right here from Tucson, Arizona, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. So we would encourage you to uh, hit that notification bell. That way you can uh, follow along with us as we teach verse by verse throughout the entire Word of God. Our YouTube handle is a reason for hope 546. You just go to youtube.com at a reason for hope 546. We also archive our messages on Rumble and we're trying to grow our audience there. So if you missed the program, we just want to kind of go look through and see what kinds of programs, what kind of questions we've dealt with in the past. We usually take the three top questions during the program and put that in the title. So it's very easy to browse through. And if you wouldn't mind following us on Rumble, if you happen to catch us there, that'd be great. If you want to avoid social media platforms altogether, you can actually just go to our website. That's calvarychristianfellowship.com and hit the watch live in the navigation. And not only can you watch our services and this program live, <clears throat> but you can also leave your question in the comment box as well as make prayer requests. There's a nifty little prayer request button 
And if you have something just weighing very heavy on your conscience or your life or your mind, we'd be happy to go before the throne of God on your behalf. We also have an app, so if you're part of our community, whether it's online from afar or you actually attend here at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, please download our app in the, or the Apple and Google Play Store. And on this app, you can follow along on our community events, our community calendar, what our youth are doing, what our home groups are doing, um, and so on, as well as uh, follow along on our live stream services, this program. You can use the digital Bible that's a part of the app. You can leave notes, uh, highlight, join chat groups, all kinds of really cool things and so much more that you can do with this app. So I'd encourage you to download that if you haven't yet. Also, we have <clears throat> a channel that we live stream to on all Amazon Fire and Roku products. So if you have a Roku device or an Amazon Fire smart device, you can go and search for us there and add us as a channel and watch our services there. And finally, if you want to leave a question discreetly, you can do so via email. Just write us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questions for hope, all spelled out with letters, no numbers, for those of you listening in on the radio, at gmail.com. And we would be happy to, I, I monitor all these throughout the program, so we would, if you send us one, then uh, I'd be happy to catch that and we'll answer those questions during the program. And finally, I'd encourage you to follow our senior pastor on Twitter. Uh, our senior pastor has a very informative Twitter feed, as well as uh, staying on top of current events as, as they relate to Bible prophecy. And it's also very entertaining. So if you want to do that, get to know us a little bit better, <clears throat> better get, our, get to know our senior pastor a little better, you can find him by searching for his name, uh, Scott Richards, or just search for his Twitter handle at ScottR4H. That's at ScottR4H. With that said. That said. That <laughs> which is a lot. Which yeah, is yeah. a lot that's said. <laughs> it's always a reminder to that people that we're a, a Calvary Chapel. A lot of people uh, don't know that. They hear Calvary Christian Fellowship. But they see the dove, and they might associate that to a Calvary Chapel church. But that is true. Pastor Scott comes out of Calvary Chapel of uh, Costa Mesa uh, with Pastor Chuck Smith before he passed away. And mm. I came out of past, uh, Calvary Chapel of Simi Valley with a pastor named David Guzik. You guys are the Beach Boys. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. I guess so. But let's and Scott, play, yeah. Scott was a surfer. I mean, he was really into surfing. And um, He was, I don't know if he was a big surfer as much as he was just, uh, you know, uh, obviously a beach goer and things mm -hmm. like that. He's a track um, athlete. I think he came to the U of A on a track scholarship. Yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. into track. Definitely a runner for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, let's pray and we'll take your questions. Yeah, absolutely. Go uh, for it, Bo. Yeah, Father, we... Thank you so much. Just reading your word today, uh, and that your grace has appeared, and uh, Lord, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and that we may live upright lives. Lord, help us to do that. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we pray that you would speak through us, and that your grace would abound, uh, that our words would be grace seasoned with salt, and uh, Father, that uh, you would bless uh, uh, all those that uh, are listening to the program and touch them in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we had an interesting question via yeah. email. Um, <clears throat> a, listen, a, a regular listener has a family member that comes from a different religious background and was sort of criticizing the Christian faith, saying that Christians are somewhat ignorant and backwards. And this is probably something that really you could relate to, Bo, because I know that you founded <laughs> an organization 
called Running Light Ministries. Yeah. Um, I never knew what that title really meant until you explained it to me, you know, a few years ago. But I always thought, like, is it like a light in the sky we're running towards? Are we running towards the light? uh, (laughs) Are we just getting our kicks on and running real fast? (laughs) And, uh, yeah, that you explained that uh, it means to, to run the race that we are called to as Christians with a lighter load. Yeah, un- unencumbered by sin, throwing off the weight that so easily ensnares us, as it says mm. in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Mm. Um, and so the idea of running light is running unencumbered. So, uh, you know, sin tends to really grab a hold of us when w- we keep it in darkness. But when we bring it into the light, it, it certainly is uh, a lighter load that we carry, you know, and sometimes just going to a brother or a sister and you know whoever someone you could trust and just telling them hey hey, you know i'm really struggling with this area of sin in my life and um and so that's something i came out years ago in and talked about uh sexual lust and uh that type of uh situation and and um and it's been years years now since i talked Mm. about that first um, but, um, yeah, it was, it's a big jump though. So that's the whole point of running light is, you know, the, the sin that so, uh, you know, easily ensnares us. And, uh, so anyway, what's yeah. the question about? Well, yeah, and yeah, that's one of the things I wanted to highlight is that running light ministries focuses a lot of attention on sexuality, on how people deal with sex addiction. And the question relates to a stereotype or perception of Christians and the question in the email that we got was, uh, this person was criticizing Christianity and saying, you Christians teach at Christian schools that women don't like sex and never have sex outside of marriage. And I thought, gosh, that's a very interesting stereotype that I remember hearing growing up, hearing you know, some of the older pastors saying, oh, women aren't interested in intimacy, it's a man thing. And knowing what you've done historically and some of the purity groups that you've helped launch. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a women's purity group here at our church as well as a men's purity group on how these these stereotypes have really damaged uh, not just people's perception from the outside of the Christian church, but actually has damaged, uh, it seems, uh, people's marriages and their relationships when it, when it comes to the subject of intimacy. So is it true <clears throat> that... Uh, <laughs> uh, Men are the sexual locomotives, and women are just not. <laughs> is that is that was that the question? Well, it was one kind of. The, of? <laughs> it was a long email with oh, all kinds of things, okay. but uh, we're just going to stick with that for <laughs> stick now. Stick with that now, for now. <laughs> this this is a criticism um, from the outside the church saying this is what yeah. Christians believe and teach. Yeah, you know, first of all, um, thanks so much for the email, um, and you know, I, I I'm uh, a Southern California boy. Um, I probably look it, I sound it. It's because I am, and uh, I certainly am a a red hot chili pepper going kid when I was growing up. I mean, they went to, I think, Hollywood High, and uh, and, um, that wasn't too far from where I was from. And and, uh, so, you know, growing up to a a lot of concerts, very progressive, um, and um, kind of the anything goes, you know, when it comes to sex and sexuality or sensuality, certainly, um, you know, that was definitely a part of my life and my culture. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I, I, I can, you know, I feel with your email in the sense that I understand what you're, what you're getting at um, and sometimes that frustration. And it's interesting, um, 
you know, Christianity, a lot of times we learn it a couple ways. We can learn about Christianity from Christian culture, um, or we can learn it from the Bible itself. And uh, me personally growing up, not in, uh, around Christians at all, and not, not a part of, of course, any church or anything like that, um, I learned it from culture. So I learned about Christianity from culture. Um, and, you know, so my thoughts on Christian sexuality, of course, was, um, you know, I had no clue really what, it, what, what they were about. Um, I just thought of Little House on the Prairie, you know, this kind of thing. Of course, misogynistic, you know, male-dominating kind of world, um, that kind of idea. Not like my progressive world wasn't male-dominating, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, it was too. You know, if I were to get honest, it was very male-dominating. You know, when I was a kid growing up uh, going to s clubs on Sunset Boulevard, um, that was a, that was a male dominating culture, hmm. you know, even though, yeah, there was girls, but you know, it was a very male sexually dominant culture for sure. Hmm. Um, um, but you know, regardless of that, uh, and my point being is that sometimes I fail to look at my own culture my own, if you will, misogynistic bent, uh, even though I wasn't raised around Christians or Christianity at all. Mm. Um, but the, the other, so a lot of times our culture defines what Christianity is to us. And I think that's how many people get their views. The other view is just by maybe reading the Bible. And that might be something that you, you give it a shot and you, you really look at it and say, hey, you know, does it sound very misogynistic? Um, so, like, if I looked at 1 Corinthians, which Corinthians uh, was a very uh, sexually liberated, quote, place. It was very much like today's world in a lot mm. of ways. It was to be a Corinth uh, <laughs> of the day just meant you were a very uh, open, sexually minded person. Mm. And uh, uh, they even worshiped their deities in um, sexual ways, um, using sex, using prostitution um, um, to worship the goddess, you know, kind of idea. So uh, sex was even part of their, if you will, their deity worship. So that's how interesting it was to live as a Corinth. So going to church in that respect was <laughs> yeah. a lot different yeah. than what yeah, we was, do now. Yeah, it was very <laughs> intense. But when Paul's writing this culture, um, he says something really cool in 1 Corinthians, uh, you know, that I want to read to you. And um, and you know, see what you think about this. Um, so this is, uh, let me read this now. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, sorry, it says this. Um, it says, the husband should fulfill, this is verse 3, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to the husband. And in the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Um, and I would just ask, like, does that sound misogynistic to anybody? It, it's a very radical, I think, statement that Paul makes uh, uh, within the marriage context anyway, but it's one that, uh, within a monogamous uh, marriage, that is, and that is your body is not yours, but it's your spouse's. And, and this runs both ways. So it runs whether it's the female or the male. Um, and 
So the man can't get like, oh, well, your body's mine. I'm just going to, you know, use it to whatever. Um, and the woman can't do that with the man either. There, there's this wonderful kind of balance that's going on in this passage. And it says, do not deprive each other, uh, each other except by mutual consent for a time. So don't deprive one another of what? Sex. Don't deprive one another of sexual uh, you know, union. Um, don't use your sex as some kind of like control method in your marriage. And, um, and obviously don't abuse the other two with sexual purposes. Remember that body is not yours. It's the other person's <clears throat> and vice versa. So we're to love and respect. Everybody's treated their own bodies. Well, we want to treat our mm -hmm. own bodies. Well, so we've got to treat our body, our wife, our spouse in a like manner, you know, and, um, and so we should have that mutual love uh, within the sexual content. But notice that it doesn't say anywhere here so far anyway that like, oh, a man really wants to have sex and a woman doesn't really want to have sex. Sex is very equal. Right. It just says don't, <clears throat> don't deprive each other of what is rightfully yours. There are so many cultures that I have been to where it's just accepted that men will fool around and it's acceptable. Yeah. And... And if a woman does, there's major trouble to pay. Yeah, well, yeah, and there's been there's <laughs> non non-Christian cultures. Yeah, yeah, and even even I would say the Christian culture hasn't done a good job with this. I mean, and I've done a lot of podcasts on these subjects at my uh, website runninglight.org if you're ever interested more in this topic. But but even the church and just human beings in general have um, have in a sense if a man has more than one sex partner you know we call it like oh that's the mistress or that's you know that's boys just being boys mm -hmm. men just being men kind of thing that's the men's group that's the players lounge that's the we have these kind of terms you know um but if a woman is works in a brothel or she does something you know she's called a whore and and this is something that's um dominant throughout the world and so there is definitely like a stamp on women um and 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 this and this kind of bias that takes place and this kind of mm. um uh, prejudice that takes place it's even in, <clears throat> ingrained in some of the religious faiths of the world like for example islam a man a muslim man can have up to four wives but a woman cannot have more than one husband. Right, right. That's definitely misogyny. <laughs> right, right. And you see this, meaning this kind of behavior is seen in the Bible, meaning it's not that the Bible's absent from speaking the truth on the depravity of human beings in their behavior, man to woman. Absolutely it is, you know. Um, and we're not saying that the Bible doesn't report the true human nature as it is in the world it does but nowhere does the bible condone this kind of attitude or behavior instead we read this kind of idea of hey we should actually give our our spouses our bodies and that that it's there the wife has a right to my body and and in that culture that would have been seen kind of radical like mm. because in a even even in Corinth sexually liberated Corinth it's still very misogynistic mm. still dominated you know in a male way and isn't and, even the old testament very 
sort of pro-woman in the sense that if a man goes and shacks up, if I could use this, that term yeah, lightly, you mean with a woman, yeah, in the law, in the Old Testament law, um, you break it, you buy it, you got to commit to life, and the only way you can get out of it is if her family says no, and you still have to pay the dowry, yeah. which of course was in place back then because, you know, it was part of the culture where women it depended on their husbands for their mm-hmm. for their livelihood, and if that woman was divorced or left or abandoned, um, that nest egg was to protect her livelihood for the rest of her life. Right. So it was almost like a lifetime worth of wages. <laughs> right. And right. so he would have to pay that yeah. just for sleeping with her. And leaving her. And not yeah, and leaving her if the parents decided they didn't want him to marry her. Mm-hmm. But if they did agree, he had to marry her. So, yeah. you know, that's... Uh, kind of different than what I see yeah. in other cultures. I've traveled even in religious cultures where it's not a Judeo-Christian culture, but, you know, there's no uh, sentiment like that that I've ever seen. Yeah, certainly so. And, um, you know, on that note, you could see why the Torah is like that. You're talking about the first five books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's because, you know, uh, even in today's world, if you give men liberty, we will abuse and that's the sad fact, hmm. is that like abortion is is always looked at as a woman's issue, but it's a man's issue. Men, mm-hmm. men, m- we forget that men are being held not responsible for their sexual conduct. Hmm. And when men aren't g- given any responsibility about their sexuality, we will go crazy hmm. with it. This is what we do. And uh, so when we see the, the negative side in the Bible, that's, and this is the very important distinction, there's a difference between descriptive texts yeah. versus prescriptive. Right. There are things that the Bible Sean prescribes. Talks about that. Yeah, yeah. The Bible prescribes things, right? Yep. Uh, based on human behavior. Yep. So it may come across as, oh, see, it's these rules are a little different for men and for women. Well, that's just because this is how they're behaving, so we have to mitigate yep. bad behavior by prescribing rules to keep people from harming one another through bad decisions versus describing what people are doing. That's right, yep, that's right. And so this is, what we're reading here is really uh, the, the, the New Testament principle of love within the context of monogamous marriage. And that is, and it's supposed to, it, it's assumed, you, we, again, we don't get any kind of assumption that women don't enjoy uh, sex or sexuality or being sensual. Um, it's just, it, there's a proper context to which it's supposed to be in, and love is supposed to permeate it. It actually, the scripture goes on to say that it says, make sure you, you only uh, don't engage in intimacy for a time. And then it says to come back and to, again, once again, be intimate. And so it is to be a, uh, something that's consistent in, mm. your, in your life. Now, it says um, for the purposes of prayer, that has always bewildered me in that passage oh, in Corinthians. Yeah. Why would someone cease intim- intimacy for a time? Uh, I mean, I pray all the time, but I don't think that I have to take like a week away from my wife to pray or... Or does that mean that while I'm praying, I should just not be engaging in? I mean, is I, I just I never quite understood what they were thinking when they read that. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it's probably the idea of just don't be idle. You know, that when you, when, there is a time in marriage where you have to not, en- you can't engage in intimacy for different reasons. You know, it might be uh, uh, your wife's uh, cycle that's taking place. And instead of being idle, you know, be continually, you know, in prayer, be walking the Christian life, you know, um, because it's easy to get tempted mm. and to be moved away. But, you know, the persons who wrote the letter, the email, you know, they're, they're right in a lot of ways that when you look at Christian culture, you see there's been a lot of interesting stereotypes, uh, especially when it comes to females. Um, you know, like if, if a, a man is seen, uh, if a man um, self-gratifies himself, um, this is seemed as, oh yeah, well that's what little boys do and that's kind of what we do. That's kind of what men do, do. it's kind of normal. But if a woman is talked about as self-gratifying herself, that can be seen as very um, absolutely like taboo, no, no, mm. the most heinous sin of them all. And, um, and so a lot of women will keep silent within a church environment, um, of course, and be absolutely scared to death to talk to anybody about that kind mm-hmm. of uh, situation, you know. Um, and you're saying that this is all sort of an outworking of a Western, westernized culture, not a biblical Christian worldview. Yeah, the biblical Christian, uh, a biblical worldview is that uh, we're sinners. And, and that we have to remember that we all sin, and we all sin in similar ways. Um, so, um, you know, if men sin a certain way, I'm sure women sin in the same way as well, mm-hmm. meaning if men have pride, then I'm sure women have pride too, and if men lust, then women lust too. Uh, and, and it's interesting that there's so many Christian depictions of, like, women almost like a Victorian, the Victorian influence of England, you know, 150 years ago on the world was absolutely stunning. Um, And it's still in our lives today where women are kind of, you know, dainty and and they're pure as the driven snow. And and this is, you know, and, and we kind of, we kind of assume that with women and so if they break out of that at all it seemed super mm. crazy and horrible and the most disgusting thing ever and or at least it used to now culture's really changing and breaking down those stereotypes even yeah. trying to push against them and, and sort of flip the script yeah and that's usually how it works that's why you know when you look at things like lgbtq culture things like this it's usually a pendulum swing mm. it's usually you know you look in history and you'll see like hey what was what was it like you know, and and does, do women really want to go back to what it was? You know, you didn't have rights, you didn't have, you couldn't vote, you couldn't do certain things, you were seen as property, um, you uh, sexually did not have freedom, uh, meaning you couldn't have sex with whom you wanted. I mean, there were certain cultures uh, where you had some liberty. Um, you know, you can read some historians on um, 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 Rome, and you and Greece, and you can read about some of the the rich women, and and some of their freedoms. But the point being is that um, there is a lot of stereotypes that go on, and there's a lot of interesting things that we have uh, received from the history um, of our ancestors uh, that has uh, still been in our church uh, churches and and everything like that quite a bit. So um, 
uh, you know, it, it, but when we look at the New Testament, we see that, um, uh, you know, within the context of monogamous Christian marriage, heterosexual marriage, uh, it makes it clear that it's heterosexual marriage, that, uh, that we are to actually, the sex is supposed to be something, or it seemed to be assumed as both people being interested in it. And, I mean, let's face it, when you look at the world, and when I looked at the world and uh, growing up in Southern California, I mean, it, it, uh, men and women both uh, lusted. I did, I did not live in a culture where it was just like men lusted and women didn't lust. Um, that wasn't my culture growing up. No, both people lusted. Some people lust in different ways. I'll, I'll, I'll grant that. Not everybody lusts in the same way. Um, some people lust in their, that lust kind of goes in this direction and some people lust and it goes in that direction. Um, but I think uh, us in the church, um, we need to learn how to break down some of these uh, stereotypes. Mm. And um, Well, I heard you once say that, that not <clears throat> keeping in line with a biblical view of intimacy and marriage when the culture was predominantly influenced by Judeo-Christian values, it actually harmed the church because we had these seemingly misogynistic, well, not seemingly, yeah. we had these misogynistic imbalances of views on sexuality, you know, where the marriage bed was, you know, you yes. could, there's so many weird practices that That's we right. just kind of think back and go, we did this like less than a hundred years ago. Yes, yes. And, <clears throat> you know, and a lot of us, a lot of us, you know, you know, we, it's taken a lot of years for us to learn as men that, oh my gosh, like a, a woman has sexual desire as well. And, and, and how to fulfill that sexual desire. And, um, you know, that those have been uh, questions that uh, were kind of void. Like we just did not want to answer those or even mm -hmm. go there. Um, but it's 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 taken some hard knocks. Meaning, what we needed was a a a, a society that pulled the pendulum almost all the way the yeah. other side, for us to kind of wake up right before our very eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a before we woke up and went like, whoa, like, man, you know what? Like that's right. Like they have sexual desires, you know. Like and 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 I always challenge men. Like, have you ever asked your wife? And has your wife ever talked to you honestly about her desires and what she is, you know, sexually? Because most people do not um, are struggle with talking about this subject. They talk, they, they don't know quite how to talk about intimacy mm. with, in their marriage. And that's and, because the, the general sentiment within the church for many years was that Generally speaking, sex is dirty yeah. and unholy. And well, yeah. The only people you, you know, uh, hear about sex from are people not in the church. Mm. And so you go outside, you know, you go like a kid growing up goes outside of the family unit to talk about sex, to hear about sex, or, or to talk about it, because all he hears about it from is people mm. outside of the church. Before I and got so, married, I picked up Kevin Lehman's book, uh, Sheet Music. Yeah. You familiar with that? No. It's just a book on how to enjoy sex with your wife and yeah. your husband. Yep. And it's called Sheet Music, and the cover, I think, had like a bed with sheets and then, you know, 
two sets of feet out yeah, of the sheet. Yeah, so kind of so I, even I, not being raised in the church, mm-hmm. but becoming a Christian, you know, in the 90s, um, was nervous. I thought, is this wrong for me to read what he's going to say? It was not, uh, you know, pornographic or anything. He's a yeah. Christian pastor, or not pastor, but a yeah. counselor. And uh, <clears throat> even then, uh, I thought, gosh, I don't know, is this... Am I stepping outside the norm? Am I being too risque? Am I should I not be reading about this stuff? Should I just kind of yeah. figure it out on my own? Or yeah. is it okay to read things like this? <laughs> yeah, and, and it's it's sad because the Bible talks about God as being a pleasurable being. You know that at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. So Psalm 16 says that at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. Well, we know Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Colossians chapter three tells us that in the New Testament. So it's kind of neat, right? At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. The right hand is the strong hand depicted in the the Bible, you know, the strong right arm, you know, and there's Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Mm. And, you know, and what does Jesus, what is, or what does the Father say from heaven, you know, in the, from the heavens, I should say, when Jesus is being baptized? This is my son in whom I am what? Well pleased. God is a pleasurable God. And, you know, God is not worshiped where he's not treasured. Hmm. You know, he, he, you know, we don't, we don't, we can't value God if he's not treasured in your life, if you don't have pleasure in God, Hmm. you know, we should have a pleasurable walk with God. And what's interesting is our marriage bed reflects the union between God and his wonderful son and his son's bride the the church Hmm. and and so there should be a wonderful pleasure experience um and what's happened so many of the times is that the the marriage bed has been kept secular so passages like uh, even love your neighbor as yourself is not used in the marriage bed or it's better to give than to receive is not used in the marriage bed so when the marriage bed uh, is taking place so to speak when intimacy is happening uh, many men have, in a sense, thrown out God from that action. Hmm. And what's been primary is their self-gratification instead of going, hey, it's better to give than to receive. Is my pleasure really in just myself alone or is my joy in my pleasure hmm. in sex, is it about my wife's joy? Right. You know? Yeah. So we really have, have missed it missed the mark on this one uh, quite a bit. So, but, you know, growing, you know, so if your kids, if you have teenagers out there, especially, the reason why they go to the outside world when it comes to understanding about sex is because they're curious about it. They're human beings. And if you don't talk about it or, you know, have open dialogue or discussions about it, they will find someone to probably have a dialogue or talk about it. And YouTube has 185,000 teachers yeah. <laughs> just waiting to they're teach gonna, your kids. They're going to hear it from somewhere. <laughs> that's it's right. Whether they're going to hear it from you first or from somebody yeah, else. Yeah, but no, that's well, a thanks, good, good, good email yeah. for sure. Yeah, thanks for that uh, email there. And uh, um, kind of not related, but um, talking about, we're, I, I've noticed you said we're all sinners. Yeah. And that relates to Micah's question. He wanted to know if a Christian teacher or preacher is a hypocrite, yeah. Where they preach true biblical doctrine but still live in sin, mm. are they a false teacher or something else? Versus a person, the contrast is a person who teaches something that is, that is not true, yet seem to keep the law. So there's the 
people who appear righteous on the outside but yet teach false yeah. doctrine yeah. versus someone who's teaching true biblical tru- truth but struggling in, in, with sin in their lives. Yeah, and, and you know, when you say hypocrite, it's someone who, um, obviously, it's something that Jesus spoke of quite a bit. You know, I think of uh, the book of Matthew, I think it's 23, where he's really going, taking the um, Pharisees to task. And uh, he says, you hypocrites, you know, you do this, you say this, but yet you do that, you know. And what he was doing, what they were doing is they were uh, making the requirements for salvation um, uh, uh, so small, like it was so hard to get in, you know, they were making it so difficult that even they themselves, they couldn't see this, but they themselves couldn't get in, you know? So it's like Jesus was saying, you hypocrites, you know, you're, you're, you're doing, you're saying this, but yet you're doing that. You know, so you yourself can't even do what you're requiring, you know. Didn't he say something along the lines of you heap on these heavy burdens that you don't lift a single finger right. to help anybody? That's right. You, can, you don't even help. And, you you know, and, you know, you guys, what is it, strain out a gnat and swallow a camel? Mm-hmm. It's like, um, and and so it's a great question. You know, you, know, you don't want to be neither. I mean, you know, it's great if you can really have that kind of wonderful abiding in Christ walk where you're uh, you're teaching right doctrine because uh, we know that that's important we need to uh, have our doctrine correct read the pastoral epistles first Timothy second Timothy mm-hmm. and Titus it's really important to have good doctrine solid doctrine sound doctrine Paul says um, and have a life that backs that up we want mm-hmm. a life and now we have to be careful it doesn't mean we're sinless uh, that's that's a wrong notion. You know, what we have to do is be honest about our sin. We have to be honest about what we do struggle in and be, you know, progressively working on things. You know, that's the Christian life. Like, you can't, like, when you ask that question and, and if you're assuming, like, someone has good doctrine yet doesn't sin, well, that's wrong. Because First John chapter one says, if you say you are without sin, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. So we we all know we're going to be sinning. There's no time in the Christian life where Jesus's uh, instructions on prayer for us aren't re- isn't relevant like anymore. Jesus said to pray forgive us our sins as we forgive those mm. who sin against us. You're never going to get to a place where you're going to say to Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord, the Creator, and you're going to say to him, hey, you know what? I don't even need that prayer anymore, Jesus, man. I'm like done with it. I like graduated. You know, my doctrine's great, and um, I don't even sin. When you, when you think that way, you're right in the uh, rich young ruler's uh, camp. You know, that guy who came to Jesus, what in Matthew, what was it, uh, 17 maybe, um, where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus yeah. and says, hey, well, I've kept it all, I've kept it all you know, since I was a kid, you know, and, you know, I've been, I've had great doctrine and I live my life perfect, right? And Jesus said, oh yeah, you live your life perfect? You're, you're, you really don't have a sin problem? Oh no. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And what did that do? That revealed the heart, mm-hmm. right? And when Jesus, Jesus can cut 
uh, cut our hearts open in, a, in just a word, man, just in a sentence like that. You know, sell mm-hmm. everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have riches in heaven. And um, that's pretty profound. Sometimes I wonder, what if he had done that? He would have just been another disciple and he would have had other areas of sin that he would yeah. have had to wrestle with. But at least in that statement, and it's not to say that there aren't qualifications for a pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not what you're saying. You're no. just saying that one of those qualifications isn't sinlessness. <laughs> no, no, no. And, it, you know, above reproach is the, you know, is the idea is that, you know, we want to be um, we want to be living in a way that, um, you know, shows integrity. You know, we want to be living and it. And again, that's not sinlessness, but it's just being honest about our sin. Mm-hmm. Just and I can read um, this passage from First Timothy. Yeah. Um, Chapter 3, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. Yeah. An overseer, therefore, must be above approach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, an able teacher, not addicted to wine, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy, one who manages his own household comp- competently, having his children under control with all dignity. And then uh, it goes and on. And what's, great about, and what's great about that list is you know, when Paul says above reproach, he gives this list out. So we don't really have to wonder what he meant by this kind of integrity of life. He, he, in this life is not something to be—that list is not something to be held at as like, hey, you know, it's like a checklist, like mm. check, check, check. It's to look at like, hey, what's your relationships like? Are you the husband of one wife? Are you a, a guy who flirts around all the time? Or, or, you know, how are you in this behavior? How are you mm. in that behavior? What's your overall temperance like? You know, look for leaders that have a balanced life. You know, mm. you could see him wanting Timothy to look at character qualities of individuals. So it's not just, he's not just saying, hey, just go check, check, check down a list, but look at their character. Someone mm. might be the husband of one wife, but a jerk. Mm. You know, you don't just go down the list and go, oh, they're husband and one wife, they should be a, an elder kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, yeah but they just might not be a good person at all. They might not, you know, just not be a very spiritual, loving person. These are leadership Christ. qualities, not yeah. uh, sort of a picture of perfection. Yeah. And so a preacher who may fulfill these qualities, may have these characteristics, yep. may uh, str- well, will, does struggle with sin because every human being does. That's right. So so that leads me to this, Adrian, is that, that when you say, so you're his first... A scenario of someone who teaches falsely, um, you know, and yet lives a so it's a standout life, you know, that is called a false teacher. Mm-hmm. So uh, that in the scripture would be not good at all. Meaning yeah, that those are categorically that's condemned. Cate- yeah, categor- categorically wrong. Like, um, and that is something like you can read the book of Jude, or you can read the second chapter maybe the whole book of second peter Mm. so second peter chapter two you can read that and you'll see false teaching so teachers that start teaching false doctrine um and uh that was a grave grave i mean these are people sort of described as wolves in sheep's clothing people who take advantage of weak-willed women as it describes yeah and so on these are people that are not part of the body of christ because of that 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 false doctrine. That's right. First John says, if you don't believe Jesus has come in the flesh, you don't believe he's the Christ who's mm. come in the flesh, then you are anti-Christ. Mm. 
you know, this is how vitally bad <laughs> being a false teacher is. Mm -hmm. And in on the, the other side, you're clarifying that to be a hypocrite is not the same as what we think. Hey, uh, so a hypocrite would say something like, uh, don't eat pizza. I don't, no one should ever eat pizza. And then, you know, and, and there's no yeah. reason that prevents anyone. There's no reason, <laughs> nothing forces us to eat pizza. Stop it. We don't eat pizza here. And then you catch him at the pizza part at Mod Pizza the <laughs> <Right>. next day. <laughs> right. That's a hypocrite. But someone who says, we all struggle with sin. We all uh, fail. Here's, here's like my pat, my, one of my pastors used to say, um, I am an imperfect man preaching a perfect message. Yep. And that's the challenge of the pastor is Always. I have to communicate the standard, which is the character of Jesus. That's right. That's like there is no higher bar. That's right. And that's what we preach. Christ and him that's crucified, right. his character. And I am not Jesus. <laughs> that's and right. I'm God is conforming me to his image. And so, yes, what I say may not always correspond to what my my life. And but does it make me a hypocrite per se because I'm coming right out and telling you we're all sinners. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you if that's right. I mean, you, that's a good way of saying it. If you think everybody's going to be um, you know, perfect again, then again, the certain passages in the New Testament become obsolete. So, if everybody's to be perfect, then certain passages in the New Testament become obsolete, meaning they're rendered useless to us. Meaning confession our sin or confessing our sins one to another, useless. Don't need that no more. I don't need to confess my sin. Why? Because I don't sin anymore. No, the preacher And the, that would make you a false teacher then. Yeah, but that would be <laughs> that would make you a false teacher and a hypocrite. Right. That, you know? Exactly. So and, and a, a hypocrite. You know, the, the best thing to do is just to be honest about what you it's like it's like when someone says someone who's very uh, large of a of a person and say they're just just have a real struggle with obesity, right? And it's because of eating, you know, and that person is, you know, a leader. Um, and yet they're talking about, you know, living the victorious life and the, they don't, they've been set free from sin and everything like that. Uh, and and they're, they're kind of condemning people, mm -hmm. you know, for their, you know, their hypocrisy. Or they're condemning people for their their sin they're telling people that they're going to hell because they're they're stuck in sin or like you one know, of the examples given by the apostle paul you know forbidding people to get married yeah you know, forbidding that, people to get married yeah you're putting some heaping some kind of ritual or law on them or mm. you know con again condemning them but yet you yourself I, i'm just saying if you're a, a leader and you can't look at yourself and go you know what i got a problem too and and a lot of people go, oh, well, I don't have a habitual sin. Oh, but what about that, that person who's, who's obese? Do you have a problem with habitual things? Mm. You know, so you have to be, we have to be very careful. You know, it's like, do people have a, a, a habitual issue with pride? Do people have a, a habitual issue with living out of fear? Do people have an, a habitual issue of insecurity? Do people have a habitual uh, habitual issues with living with discontentment mm -hmm. in their heart or bitterness or unforgiveness are pe people habitual in their lustful inclinations their desires to get rich um i mean you go down the list and you go wow we have a lot of habitual problems mm -hmm. right so but if you're saying hey you ain't getting in the kingdom because you got a habitual sin well you know, you got something pointing back at you too. 
you know? Yeah. And, and so we have to be very careful. We're in need of saving. We're mm. in need of a, re, a washing, a regeneration that's spoken of in the book of Titus chapter 2, uh, to which we all need. And without that, we are not getting into the kingdom. We need mm. God's grace and his grace alone that saves us. Um, and that's it. And, um, and uh, you know, so, you know, what do, who do I want to be? Um, I think in the book of John, I think it's chapter, what is it, 15 or 14, where Jesus says, abide in me. Um, is that John 15 or 14? Uh, Sean, where are you? <laughs> but uh, John 15, he talks about uh, abiding in him, yeah. abiding in the vine. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, I want to I want to be as close as I can to Jesus. Is there times where I sin? Yes. And what do I do when I sin? I go before the Lord and I confess my sins to the Lord. Do I have brothers in my life that I can confess to as well? Yes, I do. And and that's that's what we're called that is the christian life um you know um Mm. anything else is a is a farce so it almost seems like in order to be a hypocrite you have to be a false teacher and in order to be a false teacher you have to be a hypocrite because you're going to be hypocrisy is is not just they were practicing what you're preaching but yeah Yeah. it's it's really laying on an incorrect burden that you don't even live by like the pharisees did so when people talk about hypocrisy they oftentimes, it seems, use it incorrectly. Right. Maybe when they're asking the question, they're kind of thinking that you can be a, a hypocrite and be like almost like a good hypocrite or something. But no, and it's. I, and a, I think Christians get the biggest stigma for that yeah. because they, the perception, again, we're talking about cultural perceptions yeah. of the church, yeah. uh, is that Christians believe they are holier than thou. We hear that a lot. Oh, you're just yeah. holy rollers or whatever it might be. Yeah. And you're all hypocrites because you do the same things that the world does. Yeah. And, you know, and I get this, like the world doesn't under, and I didn't understand Christians that, that Christianity were, ex, you know, Christians are excited about their position with God. Their position is that they're saved when they gave their life to Jesus Christ. They became born again. Mm. And so positionally, Christians are excited and blessed and so so happy and so overjoyed and they feel privileged and and all that. And and that comes out in, in many ways. And certainly someone who doesn't know Christ might look at them and be like, oh man, they're just you know, they're puffed up, they think they're better than us, or this kind of thing like that. But I think a lot of Christians are just excited that they're in the kingdom, and they kind of want to share that, um, you know. Um, but, you know, yeah. we, we do need to do a better job to help people understand that, um, that uh, you know, we are, uh, the reason why we're in the kingdom is because uh, we have a Savior, and that we need a Savior. And uh, ultimately, that's what it is. It's um, you know, uh, I always think like, God, what if someone knew everything about my life, you know, and how scary that is, right? Mm. All my insecurities and all the fears and all the things and the just exposing everything about you, right? Your, your inclinations, God, that can be so frightening, you know, and all I think about what I would say, you know, and all I could say is that, you know, like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a person with feet made of clay like anybody else. You know, I just need a savior. Mm. I desperately need a savior. I think it seems that the Apostle uh, Paul really captures that dichotomy that that we struggle with. You know, I aim for perfect perfection, but I yeah. will never achieve it, not in this life. And he, in Romans 7, verses 14 and on, he says, Where we know the law is spiritual, but I am 
of flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I uh, am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing that I hate. And then later on, he goes on to say in verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of, uh, from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one yeah. hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, my flesh and the law of sin. That's right. Wow. So we have this spiritual life that can, in a sense, free us from this mm. ultimate bondage that's in our body. And the solution mm. is mm. just so beautiful in the very next verse, in chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Mm. Yeah, but walking humbly is... a challenging but good great question and uh maybe i would just think through that a little more can you really can you really you know um you know uh yeah just you know hypocrisy um definitely don't want to be there false doctrine definitely don't want to be there Hmm. you know so um, so what does what does someone do then um we don't we don't have a i think a a question lingering here that I can see. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of scanning through. There's a couple conversations going on on right some on of the different, there, right. and um, so I'm maybe, creating a lot of controversy. <laughs> no, <laughs> they're discussing uh, what we were talking about earlier with with marriage, and uh, someone did ask whether or not a passage applied. But uh, we can get to that maybe. But uh, maybe to take control of the helm for a minute since we don't have a, another question waiting for us at the moment. Yeah, and I'd love to share some books with people too. Oh, great. Uh, what would one do? Let's say someone does aspire to be a preacher or mm-hmm. a teacher yeah. or in some sort of leadership in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you counsel them, especially if they were new in the faith or maybe mm-hmm. not very new, but just they had that excitement, that vibrancy of of newness of faith or just really excited and, and sense that they love to communicate with other people? The things they're discovering in God's word, they're they're sensing those strengths and those gifts, those desires, um, but yet they're struggling with things, and maybe that prevents them from wanting to take that step and going. Well, maybe I should, you know, pursue. Uh, how would you advise them to move on or move forward? Yeah, well, you always want to, you know, make sure that you just have like uh, people in your life. You know, you wouldn't move forward in a sense like until you have people in your life that you could talk to about the issues that are bothering you. Like if you if you have something in your life, which everybody does, and you go, hey, I want to be a teacher. I want to be, you know, I want to minister in this way. That's great. You know, um, but don't get the cart before the horse, you know, have people in your life that you're talking to about the things in your life that you struggle with and uh, be opening up to them. Because, you know, you know, a leader leads in all ways. And this is interesting, but this means we have to lead in repentance. We have to lead in confession. We have to lead in humility Um, and leading in all these ways is difficult. You know, this this is not the way most leaders want to lead. We want to lead in victory. We want to lead in, you know, encouragement. We want to lead in, you know, teaching Bible studies. Mm. We want to lead in all that. But when you say, hey, will you lead, will you lead me in repentance? Like if, if, if the church says, hey, we don't know what repentance looks like, we need to learn, mm. you know. The um, idea in our competitive, perfectionistic culture uh, where the pastor is on the pedestal, the idea of a pastor publicly repenting of something seems so inappropriate. Yeah. And I'm not saying it is. I, I 
think the opposite. Yeah. But it's that's the culture that I was exposed to when I first became a believer, not being raised in the church, but being exposed to it, you know, yeah. like a fire hydrant all at yeah. once. Yeah. The expectation was is that the leaders live Christian lives and the rest of us struggle to follow after <laughs> right. their example. Right. The big, <laughs> and the bigger the stage and the bigger the pulpit, the more holy yeah. maybe you are, right? And, and distanced you are from the people that are sitting there in the pews kind of watching mm-hmm. you. Um, and you've been a pastor for over 25 years? Uh, 30 now. 30 years. Gosh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's been a long time. And um, But I never wanted to be a pastor. I've ne- I, ne- I didn't set out to be a, a pastor. That's not, you know, something that was on the radar of my life. I was a musician and... Um, you know, I studied classical guitar for a long time and was a performer. And like you, you know, you're a magician, you were a performer, you know, but yet God, as Timothy's or Paul says in 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy chapter 2, you know, Paul says, hey, God enabled me, putting me in the ministry. That's what he says in chapter 2. And in the same way, I feel uh, very like Paul, like, like God enabled me and put me in the ministry. It's not something I planned, um, but it's something God did. Hmm. Well, thank you for tuning in. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed the program. The time really flew by. If you want to ask a question, join us again tomorrow. We'll be here at the same place, same time uh, with a different cast. But uh, we hope you can join us and have a wonderful afternoon. God bless you. Yeah, thanks. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.